So as we've gone through it, now what's going to happen is this last chapter is where basically it's a conclusion. And he's going to bring all these concluding directions back into him. Okay, now that you've heard about Jesus, you know how he's superior in all these ways. Here's some directions and how you guys are to live out your life. And just some reminders of don't go back to the old way. And he's going to talk a little bit about that before he goes into it. But it's neat, a lot of the stuff that he's talking about right at the very first, the first six verses is really talking to us as believers and, and how we deal with each other and uh, how we need to be praying for each other, how our marriage should be. And so he just hits some really big points, like just in a few uh, sentences. So let's go ahead and let's go through it. Let's read 1 through 6 first of chapter 13. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, or, yeah, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? And Lord, just as we conclude this awesome book that you've had your servant write um, into all the ages, Lord, and just how we as Gentiles can even pull uh, awesome truths from it, Lord, and, and things that will change our lives. Um, I just thank you for just teaching us through it and um, exhorting us different ways and showing us how you're a loving father and, and uh, just how you're superior. And we just praise you for that, Lord, and thank you. Um, for showing us all those truths, Lord. And I just ask that you just help us to live it out. And just in this conclusion tonight that we read over and we study, um, that you'd show us on what we need to do and remind us of things. There's a lot of reminders in here that the writer was reminding the church um, and, the, and the Jewish believers. And so, Lord, just help us to grasp those things, those uh, different ideas and those uh, convictions that you want to give us, Lord, and that we carry out throughout the week and our lives, Lord. And um, we would just exalt you, give you the praise that you're definitely worthy of, Lord. And uh, we just ask that you do all this, and um, Lord, that you would just bless us through your word tonight, and just continue to teach us. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so that first verse, let brotherly love continue. And of course, it's already happening, right? Because he wouldn't say let it continue if it wasn't already happening. He'd go ahead and tell them, look, you guys need to have brotherly love. He says, let it continue. That part of love, and he actually uses a different word here for love in the Greek. Greek's awesome because it has so many different meanings to the words. It's like when we were down talking Spanish, I'd go and ask him. I'm like, oh, because the bugs down there are cool. I mean, believe it or not, you have like neon-colored grasshoppers, right? Hot pink on one of them, or neon pink, or whatever they call day-glow pink now, I think is the, the new term, right? Okay. <laughs> so they have all these awesome colors, and that's just a grasshopper. They have these purple dragonflies. That, I mean, beautiful bugs. And every time we'd want to know the names of them, so we'd go up and ask one of the, the Ticos, the Costa Ricans, what's, the, what's this bug called? And they're like, insect. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. But like, what is it called? Like, I want to know, like, sometimes, you know, we have ladybug, we have June bug, we have, a, and they're like, no, no, no. And they're like, uh, bug? <laughs> like, what do you want, insect or bug? And that was the choices that we had between all these different beetles. Or the other thing is, is that we would always, it's, it was so funny, it became a joke to us because down there they use the word fail, which is ugly. 
And so they'll say it for everything. I mean, it is like, you know, how was that food the other day? And it's like, oh, que feo. Like, it was bad. It was ugly. And it's like, well, how do I look today? Oh, you're ugly. You know, and it's, it's ugly is used for everything. How'd that conversation go? It was ugly. Anything that was bad, they would always put that word ugly in there. They didn't have any other adjectives to, to even come up with. And it was so funny because you could basically get away with some words that, you know, it's just always you'd use them. Now, in the Greek, it's kind of like in our English language, we have love, right? And it can mean different things, but we have one word for it. So you have to describe what kind of love you're talking about. But in the Greek, it had four different words. They were completely different. didn't look like any of them as far as how they're written out. And so one of the ones they use is called the Philadelphia love. That's the word that was used, Philadelphia. Um, this word that he used there, that kind of love, was for brotherly friendship or affection, and it was a deep friendship or a partnership. So it was, it was something that wasn't just like, hey, hey, buddy, how's it going today type of thing. It was something that was like a partnership. It was part of that body. It was something that you were very close with that person. And then some of the other ones that they had, Eros, and I know you guys have heard of that one, right? Eros is more of like what it sounds like, the exotic or, or, or the sexual love. I've got to make sure. Tonight's a little PG-13, just to warn everybody. So we're going to get into some stuff. And then story is another one. It's called, that's the family love. That's like what the parent has with the child. And then I know that you guys know all this one because it's been studied and taught, especially within Calvary Chapel, and that's agape love. And agape is the unconditional. Uh, it's without merit. You, get, you don't deserve it when you get it. You know, it's, it's, it's an awesome love. It's basically what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about in the agape love. And there's no expectation of repayment from this. It's God acting out that love perfectly. He's really the only one that can do that. I mean, go ahead, try. And through his power, you can in certain situations. But it is an awesome thing that God has given us in that agape love. And so there's these four words that are used in the Greek. And right here, what he's using is that deep friendship, that partnership type of love. And he says, continue in it. And he wants to remind them. Like, okay, you guys have been doing this well. I need you to continue in it. That's what we need to do as, as brothers. Don't, or let brotherly love continue. In verse 2 it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, for by so doing, I keep mixing it up, some have unwittingly uh, entertained angels. Now, he's another reminder, don't forget to entertain strangers. That's kind of a funny one. It's like, well. But right away I would ask, how many of you guys have entertained any strangers that have come into this church? Because here's the thing is that we enjoy to take people out to lunch or maybe go out to lunch after, you know, after uh, uh, church on Sunday. But how many of you guys have gone and gotten a stranger and say, hey, you want to go out to lunch with me? Right? That's one of the things. It's saying don't forget to take out strangers. Like how many of you guys have taken these guys out, right? <laughs> Hill and Gene are here. How long have you guys been here? You guys, you know, let some people know, like, what's up? <laughs> we haven't gone out to lunch. No, but here's some people, you know, that you guys could get to know, and it's, it's an important thing. It really is. I mean, if you guys go into a church, and I don't know how many of you guys have had to go out and search for churches, one of the biggest things that you're going to enjoy is when somebody invites you out to lunch afterwards, because you're like, oh, <laughs> they noticed I was at church today, you know? <laughs> it's not the in and out, and hey, nobody said hi to me or anything. And, and it's also, you get to know them. You get to know where they're coming from, what they've been doing, how awesome their life has been before, how bad it's been before. And uh, it really opens up some big doors. Um, I would encourage you guys, don't just settle for the people after church that you know, although that is great. That's good fellowship there. But like this verse says, don't forget to entertain the strangers. Don't forget to take people to your home that maybe you don't really know. 
and get to know them. It's such an important thing in the um, in the way that we have church. And you guys know, there's there's if you guys are taking notes, here's a bunch of different references, and it, it's really encouraged to the leadership of the church to do this. Right? It's called hospitality, and what they're doing in in uh, Romans Romans 12, it talks about it, and in First Timothy, it's one of the requirements that they're this way as far as being an, an elder or pastor. Titus 1, 7 through 8, and 1 Peter 4 through 9. These are all verses talking about that, making sure that that would happen. So now, back in this time, what would happen is it was more, it wasn't just taking somebody out to lunch after dinner. It was when people were traveling, you would take in people. Um, back in this time, the motels, or whatever you want to call them, uh, the places you basically go rent a room, uh, they were immoral most of the time. They were known for being that way. So a lot of the Christian believers, what they do is they show up in a town and try to find other believers, and that way they could go and stay with them that night and, and rest there. And you know that even back when Lot, right, you remember way back then, uh, the strangers came into town, and they were just going to stay out in the open, right, in the, in the um, square. And Lot is like, no, <laughs> don't do that here in this town. You need to come in with me. And that's one of those examples of this, this verse right here that says maybe, you know what, you might even be entertaining an angel and you wouldn't even know it. That's what Lot did. He had no idea they were angels. And he entertained them and brought them in, protected them in his home. Abraham's another one, right? He did that too in, in Genesis 18, uh, 1 through 12. It talks about him entertaining and giving them food and stuff and not knowing uh, uh, who they were. So, I don't know. Pretty cool thing you guys entertain strangers. Maybe you'll have an angel that will all of a sudden show up and you don't even know it. And uh, what a cool thing to have happen. I mean, those testimonies that these guys have. So don't forget to take in those strangers and, and to, um, you know, take them out to lunch afterwards. I know that this day and age and even back then what would happen is that they were very cautious of it because there's people coming in and saying they're Christians, like, hey, let me come and hang out in your house and then stealing from them or whatever. There's always that risk. Um, I don't think it would happen after church, you know, if you take them out to dinner, like chilies, and they rob you at the table. might happen, but you know what? At least you got to show God's love, right? What's money? Anyways, that'd be a crazy story. Verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are the body, in the body also. This one is one of those verses that just hit me. Um, it's one of those that, even on the side, I have pray for uh, uh, North Korean Christians. Um, they're heavy on my heart. Um, if you guys have ever gone through and read any books on, on any of these guys that have had to go through, had to go through horrible situations in their lives for Jesus, it really, really opens your eyes to see, wow, there's something else going on out in that world, uh, something that we don't experience here in America at all. Um, a great book, if you guys want to go and check it out, is Go Read Tortured for Christ uh, with uh, Richard Rumband. And that is a guy who was a pastor during uh, uh, the communist era, era in Romania. And he stood up in, I think it was 48, 1948, and he stood up in front of him and declared that Christianity and communism cannot go together. And from that point on, his life completely changed. He was in prison several times, or I think two different times, and, and the stories he has, the torture he had to go through. But this guy is so rounded. I mean, this guy is all about Jesus. And uh, awesome guy. And I just remember there was one part in why I went to this verse is because when he was talking about it, when I was reading through this book, there's one point that it came to in, in how he survived. Or I don't think it was in the book. There's actually a YouTube video. Sorry about that. There's a YouTube video. It's a black and white. Go check it out. It's when he goes back and checks out his cell that he had to live in, this tiny little room. 
And they asked him, how did he get through this? And he said, the reason and what I thought about when I was going through this is I knew that the people in the West were praying for me. And right there, I was so convicted. I'm like, how many, because that was back in uh, uh, the, the up to 64, I think, is when he was in prison. So the first time was 1948 on, and then the second time was 1959 to 1964. He was in there for the second time. But I just remember thinking, how many Westerners really were praying for him at that time, you know? And then I thought, well, let me put it in my place right now. How am I praying for my brothers and sisters right now that are being tortured for Jesus? And it's happening in all kinds of places, you know. And North Korea is really the one that the Lord laid heavy on my heart and just being praying for those pastors that right now that are going through horrible things and being tortured, those Christians over there, that they could get through it, that they could save those um, that are torturing them. I remember reading one of the things uh, Rumbrandt had to say as one of the other pastors or the believers that was being tortured uh, the guy said that I am your supreme authority in your life, the torturer did to the Christian. He says, and how are you going to have power over me? And the guy smiled and he says, I have power over you because I can love you until you torture me to death or through death. You know, and that was the power that was there. And just these guys that are, I mean, it's awesome. Another one of the quotes, and I was going through them and I'm just like, wow, these guys are so deep. He said, you know how awesome it is to, with a flower that you would wound it and because of when you wound it, it puts off a perfume, you know, and it just has a sweet smell. And just showing that is the life of a Christian. You wound it, and there should be the sweet smell that would come from the life of the believer. Awesome things, you guys. Go read that. Um, and it really should encourage you to remember the prisoners as if chained with them. And it's referring to those that are in the body because of that last part it says, since you yourselves are in the body also. Just remember on Christian brothers and sisters that are out there and they're in prison for Jesus Christ. We have to be praying for them. It's, it's a huge deal in their life because they battled every day wanting to give up and wanting to go ahead and, and deny Christ or, or whatever their torturers are trying to get them to do. Um, so remember to pray for them just like what it says here. Now in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. The world hates this verse, don't they? I mean, this is not going along with what the world's theory on, on uh, uh, sex is, right? I mean, it is one of those things that they're like, yeah, right. And just in case anybody's listening to this outside on the, po the, the, the podcast or whatever, this is definitely a little PG-13, so hold the children's ears. <laughs> but this part right here, and I think it's so important to hit this part because it's something that we don't, we, we don't really go over very much because it's one of those places like, ooh, don't talk about that. We already had to go through that in high school, that embarrassment. But looking at this verse, I think it's so important because of how Satan wants to destroy and wants to uh, take this truth and mix it all up and, and make it something that's not of God. We look at it and we know that right out of the box, um, right here what it's saying is that sex outside of marriage is, is something that God does not agree with. It's not something that he's for. Right in the last part of that verse, it says that, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That's those that are having that out of marriage. It's something that God has not designed to do that way. And so you look at it, and the, the world's saying, no, no, no you, you, it's, it's okay. I mean, if you love each other, you're committed to each other, therefore, it, it, it's all right, go ahead and do it. Or like I said, I think another time is, you know, just trying it out before you actually get married. You know, so you can know. And it's just a sad thing that the enemy has put into people's mind and completely robbing this awesome thing within marriage and, and giving that to um, these people thinking that they're doing the right thing and thinking that we're prude or, you know, whatever things they're going to throw on us. And it's a sad deal. Now, 
what it says in these scriptures is marriage is honorable in all, uh, among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And this is one of those things he's got to come to him and say, you guys, this is an important thing of marriage. I think it's interesting that he mentions the bed, you know, and saying that that is an important thing. And what happens is the enemy, it encourages sex outside of marriage, doesn't he? He definitely encourages it. We see it everywhere. And what he tries to do is discourage it within marriage. That it shouldn't happen within marriage, that it should have complication or whatever things. And so it's so sad to see that here is this thriving outside of marriage, but yet inside of marriage, it's, it's a weak deal and Satan's attacking that part of it. And it's not supposed to be one of those things that the guilt or uh, being discouraged or, or having these hang-ups that should be within the marriage. Now, the way that God's designed it, of course you're going to have guilt and you're going to have hold-ups that are going to be outside of uh, the marriage bed, Right? Not being married and having sex out of sight of marriage, you're going to have that stuff. That's why people, I mean, they're going from one person to the next. It's only a self-gratification type deal. And then when you get into the marriage, there's a lot of people that they still have that guilt and they still have those hang-ups. And that's why here he wants to say, guys, it's honorable. It is a good thing within the marriage. So if there are these things there, they need to be dealt with. Because this is what's supposed to, this is the purity of marriage, and this is an awesome thing that God has designed it. And so this is something that needs to be taken care of. Don't keep going forward in it. Let me leave you guys with some scriptures that you guys can go look up on your own that even clarify this even more. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5, and Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. The Ephesians 5, when we know it, very clear, it talks about the, you know, love your wives, um, and it goes through the, the whole part of what the marriage is. But 1 Corinthians actually will touch more on whose body is yours, whose body is your wife's. You're not supposed to withhold from each other unless it's for a certain amount of time that you both agreed on for fasting. And so it's one of those things that you really are coming in as one flesh. That is such an important part of Scripture, that 1 Corinthians 7. And it's so freeing to know that. So go through that, study that with your, your spouse. It's a good place in the Scriptures to go through and look over and remind yourselves. Verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. Now, this is one of those things that con contentment should be over covetousness, shouldn't it? It's not a word that we use very much anymore, except for within the church. I mean, I don't hear many people out there saying, I am covetousness. You know, <laughs> you know it's kind of a, it's an older term. Um, we would call it greed, maybe. Is one of those things. But even so, I think the world has even doled it down even more, and they call it ambition now, you know? Because that sounds better. You know, oh, that guy, he's got great ambition. <laughs> like, he's greedy as all get out. What are you talking about? <laughs> ambition has been traded in for this other word. And we know that what it's talking about in the scriptures is with the believers that, guys, be content with what God's given you. Be content with what you have. That goes for everything. That's not just the material stuff. It's what you have right now in your life. Be content with it. Um, you know that, that place when Paul, he talks about being content in all things, right? He's content when he's wealthy. He's content when he's poor. He's content when he's, you know, he's got all these things he goes through. That's in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, where he goes and talks about that. And I like verse 6 where it pops in there because all the other ones have been like boom, 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 hitting points. And then you have verses 5 and 6, and he takes a little bit more time. And he brings in from the Old Testament. So it says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have God with you. Why, why would you want to covet anything else? 
mean, you have the creator that's for you, right? And then in verse 6, so we may boldly say, guys, we can go out in there and say, you know, God is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I'm not going to fear. I will not fear what man can do to me. And just having that contentment, real contentment, and, and not, a, not a thing like, oh, yeah, I'm happy with everything, and then go complain about it, or, or go out and shop on Amazon until you feel content, you know? Not, not, that was not for the women, because that would be for me. Um, trying to find that real contentment is to trust in God for our needs. Real contentment comes when we trust in God for our needs. Uh, there's an awesome little quote from Martin Luther as he's walking along and he's, he's talking and he speaks to this bird that's there and he goes, Hello, theologian. How was your day today that this fool would come up and speak to you? You know, this bird, and I can't remember. It was all in this cool old English and I can't speak that. But he's talking about how awesome it is to see this bird because this bird goes throughout its life without any worries. And here he is, the foolish man worrying about everything and how he can be dressed and how he's going to eat. And he just totally respecting this bird that we would always look at as like, Oh, it's a pretty bird, but he's completely like this theologian that knows God is going to provide for it, and it has no worries. You know, just as what Matthew talks about. And just a neat little thing that Luther went and talked about. So, going on. Verses 7 through... Yeah, we'll go all the way up to 17. So remember those who rule over you, and or who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith... Follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods uh, which have no pro- no, not profited those who have been occupied with them. Uh, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing, uh, yeah, continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore by him let us continue to offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, Sean really wanted me to hit on these verses 17 and 7, but I wasn't going to, you know, we'll strive back from that a little bit. <laughs> They remember those who rule over you. It's really... <laughs> now, what it's talking about, it's not saying that, okay, you slaves, listen up. It's not going there. It's, it's talking about the, those that lead. And, of course, we know in the context there, remember those who lead over you, uh, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, and considering the outcome of their uh, conduct. And it's just saying, you guys, watch out for those guys those ones that are teaching you the Word of God and those that are leading you in the church, be respectful to them. It's one of those things that you, you know, and even verse 17, I'll put them both together now because they speak of the same thing, but that one says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that, uh, that would be unprofitable for you. And just being sure that we make sure that those that are leading us that we can bring that joy to their life and not that grief. 
I mean, it's one of those things that you just watch out and how you deal with them because the thing is, is being uh, in that pastoral role, a lot of people will associate it with, cool, you, you have like the most plush job ever because you get to come and you get to do, first of all, what you love. You get to go and sit down, you know, and hang out with people for the day. And you get to talk about God all day long. You get to pray with people. I mean, it's a pretty cool thing. And those are all awesome aspects of being a pastor. But a lot of people do not see the blood that goes on behind the scenes, the attacks from the enemy, the destruction that happens. It's just continuous. The people that absolutely hate you because you're there standing for the Lord. The things that will come in your life that you're just like, where in the world did that come from? The attacks on the family members. Uh, we were just wa- uh, listening to a pastor last Friday, and just he's really having a hard time where he's at right now because of his wife being attacked. I mean, one of those things, you know, he said he, throughout ministry, it's, it's one of those things, you attack me, and okay, you know, I'll suffer as the saint, and, and we'll go through it, but you touch my wife, and, and we're going to go out back. You know, it's, it's a crossing a line there that you just don't go there, and just happen to see your family go through that as well. There's so much stuff that happens with the pastor and his family that it's something that we usually we don't see because most pastors, they're not going to come and share that with you because they're a leader. I mean, leaders don't come and talk to you about all the woes and, and here's, you know, this person's picking on me over here. This person wrote me a nasty letter. You know, they, it's not one of those things. You wouldn't want a pastor like that. And you have a strong pastor. I'm thankful for, I know Sean's here. I don't want to make him turn red, but really thankful for what, you know, he does and what he has to put up with. And it's just one of those things that make sure as you guys being a part of this church, that you're bringing joy to them and how you're, you know, conducting yourselves and how you listen to what's being said and how you're bringing joy to their family as you pray for them and, and you make sure you're taking care of them as well. It's just one of those things that we need to do in guarding our pastor and his family. It's one of the things that he asks us to do here. Obey those that rule over, who lead you or rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. And that's the biggest thing is that there's a different requirement there for those that are leading. It's one of those things, it's a scary deal, and a lot of guys don't want to be called into it because it's, you're going to be answering for different things. It's a big deal. And so just make sure you guys are bringing them joy and those other leaders that you come in contact with. Verse 8, it says, Jesus, and I, it's so interesting because here's, he's concluding and he's just hitting all these points as he goes through, right? It seems like it's not completely flowing, but he all of a sudden pops in there. He says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just reestablishing that Jesus Christ is immutable. Immutable. It's what the theologians use for that word and saying that he's unchanging. Jesus will never change. And just helping them understand that this isn't going to be some doctrine that for today, oh, it's like this, but then it's going to change into something else. Jesus doesn't do that. And you guys can see that there's other religions that have come up and tried to change Jesus, haven't they? They've tried to mess with him, and it's no, no. The verses say that he's the same as he was, as he is, and he will be, being forever that eternal God. In verse 9, Do not be carried about from various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have profited those who have become occupied with them. And going back and remembering that this is to the Hebrews, right? They had certain things they were supposed to eat, certain things that they were supposed to be doing according to the law, and he wants to reestablish. Guys, don't do that. It's not even profiting those guys that are eating that. Okay, It's just another food. It's not this whole blessing or, or thing that they think is going to happen with them. We're under Jesus. We're under grace. Let your, let your heart be rooted in that grace. That it means no matter what you're going to do, God's going to pour out his grace on you. That's what's going to happen. And so 
It says, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods that have been not are have not profited those who have been occupied by them or with them. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. And that one is just like one of those things that they were so much into, you have no right to come to this altar unless you're perfect, you're clean, you got all these things in order. And here it is, this writer's turning right back. You know what? We're, we're serving a heavenly God now, a heavenly priest that's serving the heavenly tabernacle because he just went through all this. You guys don't have any right to come here if you're not going to come by grace because that's how you come here. It's not going to be by some sacrifice that you're doing. And so just saying that they don't, there is no right. And then he goes into just how we are as we're humbled, just like Jesus Christ was, and talking about how it's outside of the camp. And it's one of those things that we need to take a stand that, yes, you guys are going to be looked at as weirdos. You're going to be outcasts. You know, it's just one of those things that you're not going to mesh with the world. You're not supposed to. I remember one of the worst things that my roommate, I was living with two secular roommates. What an experience. But I remember one of them, he said one of the worst things that I've ever heard to, my, <laughs> to me. And it wasn't something you'd think was evil. He just said, and this guy is completely just living life in the world. He came up to me and he says, Curtis, you're the coolest Christian I've ever met. And I knew right then, I knew it's because I don't even talk about God at all. I don't say anything. And I knew that's why he said it. And I'm just like, oh, so much shame. I was like, here's a guy that's so worldly and he's comfortable with me being around. You know, not that we're supposed to be that, that person over there, the, 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 the you know, church out there with the horrible signs saying evil things to people, but that thing that we are supposed to separate ourselves, that we are going to be separated if we stand on that truth that Jesus Christ has given us, just like he was separated from the camp. That's what's going to happen to us. And so something we should expect to happen. Um, and as Chuck Smith, not, not being that weirdo, you know, like he, he used to ride with this one girl in the, back, and she, in the back of the bus. She'd just be screaming and going off on people the whole way on the ride about Jesus and how they're going to die if they don't repent. And he's like, she made herself the weirdo. It wasn't she was a weirdo because of Jesus. She was just the weirdo. <laughs> he said, make sure that if you're the weirdo, it's because of Jesus, you know, in your life. So verse 13, uh, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Of course, we're being, you know, we're, we're vagabonds. We're just traveling around. We don't have that sure place yet. We, we're looking forward to it, right? And then verse 15, and I am running out of time. I'm out of time. Verse 15, I want to hit on this verse because I felt it was very important. This is the essentials for proper praise in this verse that I saw on there. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And just four of the things that I got out of that verse is that praise is going to be by him. It pleases him because it's through his righteousness. It's by him. And it's entering in his righteousness is why we come into it. The second one, it's continually. Of course, we're always giving him praise. And the third one is it's a sacrifice of praise. It might be costly or inconvenient. It might be costly or inconvenient, which is something we don't ever look at. you know. But I always think, how many times have you guys wanted to raise your hands if you guys are worshiping and you're like, that might be a little weird. I'm in the front row today and everybody's going to be looking at me. And it's one of those things that, you know, even I've come up where I'm singing the song and it, it talks about we raise our hands high and I'm just like, I'll skip that part because I'm not going to do that. And I don't want to sing something I'm not going to do. <laughs> so it's sad because it's one of those things that it's like, you know what? It might cost me. It might be, but in reality, is anybody really going to care? No, it's because it's between me and him. It's something I put in my head that, you know, people are going to care about me raising my hands. And it even goes further than that. And watching what we do and we praise, 
there might be something you guys have to give up as you, as you praise God. There, there could be a sacrifice, and just that sacrifice of praise. And then the last one, the fruit of our lips. That I love this one because it's the fruit of our lips, and it's very, very pointed. And it's not saying the fruit of your thoughts. So it's not, hey, let's come to God in our worship of our thoughts. You know, as, as I look at that the screen, and I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to open my mouth because I have a horrible voice. I'm just going to think these things. <laughs> But what it's talking about here is the fruit of your lips. More than thoughts, it's spoken and it's sung out. The fruit of the lips. Therefore, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I remember there was this girl that she was uh, tone deaf, and and we were down in Mexico doing these trips with the, the high school kids down there. And this girl, I mean, it didn't sound right at all with with the singing, but it was the most joyful thing I ever heard out of anybody that was singing. She was singing at the top of her lungs, and she knew she was out. She, she couldn't match any of the tones. But she, you could just see. It was just so pure because she just wanted to worship her Savior. And she didn't care about any of the other people, you know. And it, it was definitely, you could, if you weren't a part of that group before, your attention would be on her <laughs> because it was so obvious. But then it was just you fell in love with it because it's like, wow, I really wish that I could do that. I really wish that I wouldn't care about what I sound like or any of that, and I wish I could just belt it out to him like he deserves. You know, and it's just a cool thing to see her and just giving him that worship of the lips and giving him that thanksgiving he deserves. Don't forget to do good and share. And he has to remind him again, guys, it's not just one of those things, the obligations of us being Christians is just to praise him. The other obligations, there's other ones that come in there too and also ways that you can praise. And it says right there in verse 16, but don't forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you. We went over that. In verse 18, it says, pray for us for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. Verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you a few words. I'd hate to know what a lot would be. (laughs) <laughs> know, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. I mean, that last little part, I definitely would, I would side more in that it's Paul writing it. It's because of who he's talking about there. But just for the last point I want to hit on is just verses 20 and 21. And I would look at this in this scripture, these two scriptures, if you look at them, let's read through them and have this thought in your mind as you read through them that it's a spiritual progress right here, okay? Spiritual progress. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Just that awesome part of you get to see him, now, may the God of peace who brought you up by the Lord Jesus from the dead, brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that's one of the first things we believe in, right? That's that first step that we take. And then that great shepherd of the sheep, we let him shepherd us. We let him take control of our lives. And through the blood of the everlasting covenant, just having that blood in that New Testament, 
you know, uh, consecrated by his blood in our lives, that new testimony that we get to be on, that new covenant that we get to follow under that covenant of grace. In verse 21, make you complete in every good work. We know that Ephesians talks about that, right? Good in every, in Ephesians 2, complete in every good work to his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. And I think that's awesome because it's not one of those things where we come to him and it's like, okay, I'll, I'll get it right. Don't worry, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. I'm going to be a good Christian. I'll make sure I work this out better next time. It's not that. Look what that says. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Not what's well-pleasing in your sight. Not you working it out to the best of your ability. But it's all in his hands. What an awesome part of Scripture, right? And it says that it's going to be through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen, right? That's a good amen right there. Lord, we just thank you so much for your Scriptures and what you teach us. And uh, just the progress that we get to go to, that it's absolutely in your hands. And Lord, all these reminders that you've given us as, you, as you've closed out this book, uh, just help us to remember um, you know, what it is to have that brotherly love, um, what it is to, to have that honorable place in our marriage, Lord, just that we could worship you. And um, Lord, that you just strengthen our marriages. As the world tries to attack it, as the enemy goes against our marriage, Lord, and just as marriage as a whole is being redefined, in our country, Lord. I pray that we just stand firm, that we voice what you want us to voice, Lord, and we be about your business. Um, even if it's going to exclude us and like what you've told us, that it's going to put us outside of the camp, Lord. Um, we truly want to be there because that's where you are. You're outside of the camp, Lord. And so we just want to be with you out there. I ask that you just challenge us, Lord, that you'd bring up different things in our lives that we could completely proclaim you and, uh, Lord, we really want to see people come to you. We want to see that exciting time uh, of a person being turned over to you. And for all of eternity now, they're saved, Lord. And uh, just give us those moments so that we can exalt you, Lord, and we can give you glory. We remember to praise you continually, Lord, and just give you thanks like you deserve. And, uh, yeah, we're just thankful, Lord. We're thankful for what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives and how you bless us. And the other thing, too, Lord, is that you would just remind us again to pray for those that are out in other countries, Lord, that you would give us dreams or even visions of who we need to be praying for, like what you've done with, uh, you know, the old saints and, and even people that I've read about, Lord. They would give us that so we could poignantly talk and, and pray for those people um, that you have out there suffering for you, Lord. Um, I pray you just direct us and who we're supposed to be doing and what countries we need to be praying on, Lord. And uh, we just thank you and thank you for the blessings you've given us and where we've been raised, Lord. We praise you and just pray all this in your name. Amen.